RDT Systems, baby. Dog tested and dog tough. We've got those soft mouth dummies. Now listen, everybody knows that we need more bumpers. I'm not talking about one or two or three. I'm talking about adding bumpers to your repertoire. I like using white or black and white bumpers when I'm training my dogs for marks and even blinds. You can get the orange ones. I dig it. But add a bunch to your repertoire. And I'm again, I'm not talking about three to six. If you're working on T pattern, if you're working on blinds and pattern blinds, you need a bunch, a dozen, 18. The Soft Mouth Dummies by DT can't be beat. Check them out, LoneDuckOutfitters.com. DT Difference. Let's go. Hashtag man's best kennel, baby. That's Gunner Kennels. Man, let's talk about these crates because when shh, it hits the fan, you want your dog protected. It's an investment emotionally and financially to keep your hunting buddy safe. If you'd like to get into a Gunner Kennel, slide into the DMs and we'll hook you up. But do your best friend a favor and keep them safe this duck season. Force fetch. What is it? It's super intimidating to so many people, yet it's not that difficult. I built a step-by-step process that helps you understand it. You and your dog can be successful in it, and it takes the intimidation away of the process so that you and your dog can get to your goals. That's what it's built for. Let me teach you how I do it so that you and your dog can do it. Different breeds, different personalities, problem solving, and more. Check it out. Links in the description. The Force Fetch Course. Baby. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Lone Ducks, Young Dog Chronicles. Baby, we got an episode coming for you with my good friend. I'm going to slap him on the back. Listen for it. (laughs) Oliver Berman from Foundation Retrievers, South Carolina, is here in New York training for a couple weeks, and we have had a blast for the first week and a half. We're doing a podcast tonight. We did a little Patreon happy hour tonight to kick us off. Uh, but now it's podcast time and I'm excited. So we got some Q and A's, some, we call it shot for shot, Oliver. So we're going to have rapid fire questions coming at us. You answer, I answer, have fun doing it. Let it rip. We'll talk a little bit about our trip, but first let's get into, you know, the old patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters. It's a community. Like I just told you, we did a happy hour tonight. Every other week we jump on a zoom meeting, having a ton of fun, talking dogs, dog training. Some of it's pretty high level. Some of it's novice. Uh, novice is probably a wrong term, but like first timers getting in it with their dog, really digging into the nitty gritty of how to get dogs to do some cool stuff. And so it's really fun. We had a great time, drank a couple beers and awesome conversation. Um, if you'd like to join that community, it's patreon.com forward slash home duck out there. We'd appreciate having you there if you have it happen to enjoy this show and you want to just support the show that's where you can do it so thank you next up loneduckoutfitters.com maybe you want to walk around with a lone duck cat i don't know it'd be cool be cool if you did loneduckoutfitters.com next up donor kennels man's best kennel i'm riding down the road and it hits a fan i'll make sure my dog is protected marie right now is driving around like four of them in her truck and I feel good about it because they're in a gunner. If you'd like to get into one, you can slide into the DMs on Instagram at Lone Duck and help you out, figure out a way to get you into gunner. Next up, 
Dalton. We kind of talk about it on our Patreon uh, happy hour here. E-collars are a phenomenal tool. I like to use them all the time, building good reps and whatever. And, and maybe we can talk about this further in the show, but not right now. But further in the show, Oliver will do some days where he doesn't use a collar. And it's typically on marks and whatnot. But when I've got a collar on a dog, best hugger is a dog truck. So excellent customer service, excellent company. Get into a dog truck. You can find those at LoneDuckOutfitters.com too, baby. Next up, from the duck blind to the holding blind, it's Purina. The pro plan. Get on the plan, the pro plan. All right, Ollie, you got some pro plan. Talk to me about it, bud. Uh, I've been feeding it for, let's see, I've been owning my own business now going on five years and been on it for five years with those dogs. And my personal dog will be 11 this year and been with them for 11 years. I've been happy. Um, great customer service. Uh, if you need anything, if you've got an issue with the dog holding weight, give the guys a call. And they will do whatever they can to make it right. Uh, we've done it before. Mr. Ray uh, sent us some Florida Flora, some other things, and got us right. So we've been happy and we're not changing. Absolutely. No, I've been pleased with the change. What is it? How do I say it? Fuels the truck alone, duck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I just had a brain fart. There you go. Fuels the truck alone, duck, baby. Uh, pro plan. Get into it, get onto it. Let's roll. Next up, Standing Stone Kennels. My buddy Ethan, my lady cat. They've joined us here a plenty of times. Ethan is coming out next week. We've got a seminar. Super fired up about it. There are no more spots available. So sorry that you didn't jump on that. But he's going to come out to Central New York. We're going to rock a seminar on a Saturday. Have a ton of fun. Uh, but they have a supply company. So they're not just dog trainers. They're not just pointing dog folk. They're not just badass YouTubers. They have a supply company. So you can basically get anything from puppy stuff to toys and treats to gun dog supplies. What you need to train it up. It's standingstonesupply.com. Check them out. Next up, speaking of the seminar, me, Kevin, and Ethan, we're on a group text today talking about smoking a myth. We've got them on the Traeger and have a couple Traegers rolling while the seminar is going on so that everybody can eat some smoked meat during the seminar. So Traeger grills, smoke them if you got them. We got some pork butts. Kevin's going to do a couple pork butts, a couple chickens. What else, Kev? We're oh, just going to go to town on just it. It's going to be awesome. No, I was pulling up Instagram to do some Q&A with everybody. Uh, we're going to go to town on it. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait. <laughs> I love that. I got you off guard. Anyways, smoke if you got We had uh, tonight on the trigger, not to digress, but we had delightful. Uh, a client of mine gave me goose sausage, like sausage, peppers, and onions in a hot dog bun, right? Goose sausage. What you think, Oliver? Did you like it? It was unbelievable. And last night was? Elk burger and chicken. That was another client. Shout out to the people who bring me the meat. I love it. Next up, shoot or shoot, baby. Kent Cartridge. 
the bismuth is coming up, but this season, summertime, is when you should be out there shooting clay targets, and they've got steel, no, excuse me, lead load, your seven and a half for shooting clay targets. Now is the time to be preparing for duck season. So when you do decide to send some bismuth down the range at the old Millard duck, you're going to hit them. You're not going to be near them. You're going to be in their general vicinity. You're going to hit them. Bismuth. Oh, are you going to try it? No, I'm good. Come on, <laughs> give him one. Oh, that was good. All right, clap it up, everybody. Everybody, all right. All right. Here we go. All right. Uh, and lastly, Waypoint Outdoor Collective. They keep us in tune with you. You in tune with us. You can check them out on Instagram. Waypoint Outdoor Collective. All right, Kev. Uh, Kevin, it's good to see you on Zoom. It's good to Screw be here. Riverside. We got to figure it out. Everybody. I know, we're trying. trying. We'll get there. Everybody, I want you to know that our number one goal is to bring you a great podcast. Audio, educational, humor, what's not. And we have been having some technical difficulties as we grow. And trying. it has my behind. So we're back to Zoom. Um, it's Actually, this is like the first Zoom one we've ever done. Well, I'd like to point out that for all the problem solving you do and for the fact that everybody writes in, no, you do, with dogs, I'd say specifically. Yeah, specifically not and, audio stuff. No, but as soon as one, just so everybody's aware, as soon as one thing doesn't go exactly perfectly, Bob's like, nope, I quit. We're not doing this anymore. Find a new, find a new <laughs> yeah. software. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I throw it against the wall. One chance. That's yeah, all you, yeah. you get one chance with me. Yeah. You can suck it. That's how well, I feel. Okay. Well, huh? and it great. wasn't one chance, it's like fifth. But, anyways, not to bicker on the old podcast. Well, I love it. Because you'd lose. I just know what I want everybody to know truthfully is that we're trying really hard. We're doing things that are, I'm a dog trainer. Kevin is a search engine optimization wizard at his day job. You don't even know what I do. It's all right, though. Keep going. Sounded good. Sound it did sound good. It sounds a lot smarter than I really am. Keep going. Right. But the point is we're learning. And, and our goal here is to produce a, a great show for you to enjoy. And so if something isn't going right and we get feedback that, hey, podcast is fun to listen to, but this isn't the audio isn't right, we're really serious about trying to fix it. So anyways, uh, now I'd like to welcome my guest. Mr. Oliver, Oliver Berman, hailing from Buffalo, South Carolina. I guess one a little Australian. Oliver actually reigns from uh, England. That's correct. A year ago, you became an American citizen. That's correct. You lived here. You did? I didn't know that. That's exciting. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Two years ago, right before COVID. But my British accent went Australian pretty quick, didn't it? Yeah. My bad. Cheerio. Bloody hell. <laughs> Can you give me a, a British uh, saying, a thingy? Bloody hell. Bloody hell. Ooh, that's pretty good. Might need you to talk into the mic, though, Oliver. Okay, talking a little bit better. Yeah, yes. thank you, sir. Let's suck right up there. There you go. Give it a nice bloody hell into the microphone. <laughs> bloody hell. There you go. There we go. Chat. Oh, what a good lad he is. There we go. Hip, hip. 
All right, here we go. And now he's here in central New York on a, a wonderful summer trip. I'm going to tell us what's a summer trip, bud. Well, we've been here for just, just shy of two weeks and trying to escape the heat from South Carolina. It was starting to get warm. Uh, Uncle Bob threw out another invitation. Last year we did two weeks. This year we'll go a little over three, and I think we've got plans to do a month for next year. Um, oh, yeah. So we, we're It just in, flies by. It does. The first week flew by. Uh, this week's flown by. Um, you know, that's the, the fun of it. And it's at the same time, days don't drag on. No. And you know what I tell people too? Uh, my winter trips fly by. You guys are, you and Blaine are my, some of my best buddies. And when we get to train together, it doesn't feel like our day job. Right. You know, we're all lucky enough to be dog trainers all day long, but some days are more fun than others. But when you're there with your friend, and you got music going and it's dog, 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 dog. You talk about the setup and pick out things that you both like. It makes the day fly by. It makes the day more fun. It challenges each other. And I honestly, I feed off of it. Right. It, it reminds me of like playing college sports and stuff like that. Like I feed off of, it's not competition, but it's, if your dogs do good, I want mine to do good too. If if my dogs do well, I'm sure you want yours to do well. And when we're talking about why that dog didn't do well, we're just we feed off of each other, and it makes it really really fun. So I thoroughly enjoy the time last summer that you came, and when you said you wanted to extend it this year, I was like hell yeah. And one week into your trip this year, we both looked at each other and said like This isn't long enough. This isn't long enough. You're already one third down. So. You know, and, and I'm sure folks that listen, like you've got your your friends that you go out and train with on Saturdays, like you you know the drip, the drill. Like on a Monday when you go out and train your dog and do your same old, same old, and then on Saturdays you all get together and have fun is different. This is what it's like for us. So uh, it's been a pleasure having you. Um, let's talk a little bit about what we've been trying to accomplish. You know, for me, we're getting out of our comfort zone of the hunt test. We've talked about it on you know a podcast before this where we ran a field trial and before you go home you're running a young talented dog you have in a derby which is a field trial for dogs that are under two years old and so we we have a plethora of dogs at all different skill levels some of them are high master level into the qualifying and, and ice your derby dog plays in those that group then we've got like the medium dogs that are learning how to run blinds, doing drills to run blinds better, doing swim by tedious stuff. And then we've got dogs that are literally learning how to go to get a bumper and bring it back to us. Um, so it, it's been uh, long days of trying to juggle, making sure each group of dogs is not getting pushed too far, but, but are learning. And then other dogs where it's like, how crazy can we get this and see how far we can push them? And that's been fun for me. Um, let's talk about, let's talk about the, let's talk about the younger crew. Okay. Cause I feel like that's probably where most of our listeners are at. Sometimes we get, you know, on the podcast, we'll get into like the big dog stuff. And, and I feel like there are people, our listeners that aren't there yet. So they listen, but they're like, man, I'd really like to talk about the gun doggy stuff. I'd like to talk about the dogs getting ready for our first season. 
And so today in the heat, you know, we kind of ended a little bit early. We had some chores here at the house to do, but that last session that you did was straight up gun dog, gun dog, meat dog, duck dog training. What did you do and what were your goals for that little crew dogs? Crew dogs. So I think we had six or seven dogs. We have, you know, one dog as early as literally their second week of training. Uh, they came a few days before we came up north. Um, and then we've got two or three dogs that are going to go home up two or three weeks after we get home. So what we're doing with those guys is today we ran off of a little elevated dog platform uh, with the young pups. It was treats in my pocket and hey, hey, up, 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 let them go. Pick up a big white bumper in a fairly short cut yeah. field. Bird Boy was out there to help them 25, 40, 50 yards at max, encouraging them to come back. Uh, some of them came back, some of them did not. We worked on recalls with one of them. Uh, and then my gun dogs, it was get him out of the truck, let him go to the bathroom, kind of walk to the line a little bit, not as under control, you know, let him have a little fun, jump on the dog stand, blow the duck call. You know, hollering, hooting and hollering, shooting. I think I loaded the gun, took the plug out five times, five shots every time. Um, you know, really shot the gun, tried to get him to break, said different dogs' names. Uh, <laughs> uh, Oliver says Lexi, Sprig, Willow. Willow. And then he'll mix in some other ones that you're not ready for, but 100% of the time, if he's going to say another dog's name, it's going to be Lexi, Sprig, Willow. And the dog doesn't go. And then he says, say a name. Ralph. <laughs> you don't have a dog named Ralph. Anywho, but it's, it's hilarious. So we've been kidding around about that, um, which is a cool little tip. Remember, you know, when you're duck hunting, you kill a duck. Your first instinct isn't to say the dog's name. Your first instinct is to say, like, great shot. Yep. Way to go. Woo. We got him, like you know freaking fist bumping and high-fiving and hooting and hollering and if the dog is so consistently uh drilled into their brain that they see something fall they hear their name they go then if you say wow their name is waldo they're gone. they're gone or if you say good shot and their name is waldo they're gone um so yeah no it's great little little Tidbit of yeah, it was just a quick rapid fire. We ran six dogs within I don't know, 30, minutes, yeah, 30 40 minutes, and the, the two dogs are about to go home. You know, that was great for them. We got two or three corrections you now here. We picked up the bumper, we did it. Um, and it was just a quick way to get them excited, get them out, run them, and get some corrections. And yeah. none of them wore a collar for me, and we got some good verbal corrections, and they, they did it good, yeah. And actually, tomorrow we're going to do the same thing. Yep. We're going to do it on water. We're going to honor each other. Two dogs on dog stands. If a dog moves, we're going to send the other dog. We're going to... Um, Real life hunting situation. Yeah. We're going to have a good time. I'm going to even bring some decoys because the, the ponds don't have decoys. We'll get some decoys in there. Um, mojo. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and these are things that like we forget sometimes as trainers. Like, you, bam, bam, thank you, man. We got a boatload of dogs to get going. And... At the end of the day, if they go home to our clients and they've never seen a mojo or they've never seen a boat or they've never ridden in a boat or a canoe or whatever the case may be, I'll talk. Sidebar. Do you run blinds off your dog's thing? I do. You know, I do too now. Yeah. You want to know why? 
because you had dogs at home and could not fly with ducks. That's right. Then lesson learned. Same out of a duck blind. We have a duck blind on the property and we run blinds on it. Yep. It's the first time you do that, a lot of dogs will not go. That's right. It's different than sitting at your side in a field or at a water's edge or even far off the water's edge. It's different. And so they get on that dog stand and they hear back and they go, like, like uh, Scooby Doo, Scooby Doo. <laughs> that was Tim. That was Tim the Toolman Taylor. <laughs> yeah, they don't know what they're doing. So yeah, we do that. We they do that tomorrow. It's a great idea. We might as well. So we're we're thinking outside of the box. We're having fun doing it, and we're trying to all the time produce a better duck dog for somebody. And to me, a good duck dog. All right. Here's what I think. What do you think? What makes a good duck dog? A dog that can go to the field in the morning, do everything that it's asked, uh, you know, within limitations of that dog's training, and then go back to the lodge. And if the dog's invited to the lodge, is well-mannered, behaved, and it's that poster child of the dog laying next to the fire, everyone's relaxing, the dog's, you know, behaved, uh, and then the next day, it does the same thing every day. That, to me, is what I want my clients to experience when it goes home. But when it's hunting season, that's what they've got. And then when it's summertime and they're you know, just hanging out with the kids at the beach, the dog's in the back of the truck like, let's go. Let's, you know, I'm just a family dog. Family time and training's on hold right now. That's right. I agree. I think obedience, steadiness, uh, never give up attitude, decent marking ability on land and water. And like swampy, nasty stuff where it's got to climb over sticks in the water and, you know, get into the cat's house and find it and not quit. Um, give me effort. Give, yep. Give me effort. Try hard. Have fun. But be enjoyable to be around like you don't know they're there until it's time to say their name. That makes a good duck dog. And that doesn't mean after our four-month gun dog program, that's what we're going to be. It means they're there but now we have to put them in the real life situation and, and hold them accountable during that big time yeah. like that 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 perfect gun dog right there will be a cluster season one it's, it's learning first season's training second season better by the time it's third season it'll be a well-oiled machine if you're killing birds for it and it's learning how to do its job in a real life situation and that last part if we're killing birds for it that will make a gun dog yep. in my opinion you know, birds make a bird dog that yep we've said that plenty on the podcast birds make a bird dog if you're the classic lone ducker who goes out and kills one duck every hunt and you go out 20 times a year that dog's had 20 life experiences if you're the dude or dudette who goes out and kills 20 birds in a hunt in one hunt that dog gets 20 life experiences it goes out the next day 20 more life experiences it literally doubled in two days what that one dog would get all year that other dog right so you know what though i think you bring up a really good point too bob is because because that kind of begs because that kind of begs the question of like okay well what if i can't go out and kill 20 birds at a time and this and that like does that mean i won't ever have a really good duck dog no but it's going to take more years and training out of duck season to produce that, right? And I, 
Yeah. Yes. But I think that's what's really important to point out is that when people are like, yeah, I've had three seasons with my dog. But then if you kind of like nitpick the season, it's like, okay, well, they had eight birds or I got out three times that season or whatever. It's like, all right, well, you know, take a step back and have realistic expectations of your dog for how much you're providing, how many opportunities you're providing that dog. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, I remember, Kevin, a story, uh, a hunting trip that me, you, Memphis, and Birdie went on. So two, the four of us, right? Two dogs and me and you. We went to a farm, local farm, and right at, like, first light, we rolled a wood duck, and it was coming towards us, and it you know, rolled it, and it shot behind us. In front of us was like a mildly open beaver pond. Behind us was neck deep crap, um, muskrat huts. Those like mounds where the dog will get on it and fall back in and they think they're on land, but they're not on land. And the ducks can dive under and grab onto something and they're, they're gone. Right? Remember that, Kev? Remember the story I'm telling you now? Yeah, no, I'm, I mean, I'm tracking you. I'm listening. Do you, do you remember? I do. Okay. So we thought our dogs saw it. And remember, think, close your eyes, everybody, unless you're driving. We shoot a bird in front of us, coming right at us. Boom. The trajectory of the bird goes over our shoulder and back behind us. The dogs are facing in front of us. And so now they're looking over their shoulder and sort of half-assed mark this bird. And I go, all right, Kevin, like, you know, Memphis is like three or four. Birdie's like one and a half. Probably, right? Yeah. Send your dog. Let her go hunt it up. She's in there. She tried really hard. Could not find the bird. Memphis's turn. Like now, we, now it's two dudes and two dogs hunting this duck. We can't go in there. It's just too deep for us to wade and like help them scout it out, right? And we're trying to move them to get more downwind. And we're, we've spent easily an hour dinking around trying to get these dogs to find that bird. And the bird just disappeared. Went down, grabbed onto something. Whatever. It was one yeah. of those situations of like, no, no, no. I know it's here. I know it got s- smashed. It has to be here. And right. we're both way too stubborn to let it go. And possibly. And, and, at three years old, Memph wasn't the dog who picked up 20 ducks a day all year. She had picked up uh, 150 in three seasons. That's not that many compared to a dog who will go out and pick up 150 in three days. Three days, right? It's just different. So if we had a dog that picked up 150 birds in three days, maybe they would have found that duck before it climbed down and held on to something. Maybe it would have stayed in there and figured it out. Maybe we were five feet from the duck and, and they just couldn't find it. I doubt it. I think it probably dove and held on and was gone. But that's an, a difference between a three-year-old dog who would pick up 150 birds, a year-and-a-half-old dog that picked up 12 birds, and a, a, a dog who may have at 300 birds freaking stayed in there and grounded out and got it. Uh, We'll you know what know. the other thing we'll is, never. though, is that we could have, in that situation, in a lot of these different situations, 
you're amped up, you're excited, you're not oh, thinking yeah. properly, right? Like it, it's always interesting to look back in hindsight and be like, what, well, what could we have done better? Like how could we have handled that situation better for the dog, for each other, for whatever, like how, how could we have done that better? And so I'm going to ask you that question. Like it was a long time ago, so maybe you don't fully remember, but what would you suggest? What would you suggest? I can tell you right now I lost my patience. Oh, well, I could say that about any hunt ever. (laughs) Uh, No, I lost my patience. I was disappointed in our dogs. It doesn't help, Oliver. I don't know if people do this with you, but the, what I enjoy doing is being like, Oh, man, I guess a uh, professional dog trainer over here came right? yeah, yeah, yeah. and that doesn't, that doesn't help the situation. This, right? That doesn't help the situation, but it gives me a good, uh, good chuckle. Yeah, no, I know. But it is that feeling. It's like, I know you can run this blind, get over the ditch. Yep. And get it, get over there, get it, hunt it up, stay in there. Don't quit. Don't come back to me without a bird. And Kevin and I, I'm no, no joke, especially back in the day. Like now we're doing better at duck hunting. We're way better duck hunters. We, we scout way more. We, we just kill more ducks, but it, we're still not five band limits kind of guys. So when you kill a bird, you're like, yes. And especially back then, dude, you remember Kev? Like back then it was like, that may be the duck we get all weekend. It was a, I mean, that was some of my favorite duck hunting memories, though, is because you worked your balls off for it. And, sure. and when so you had that opportunity, dog, I would lose my patience. Exactly. So to, to answer your question, Kev, what I remember most is that I lost, and I've said this on this podcast and other podcasts I've been on, the thing that I've learned as I've gotten older is to not let something like that ruin the hunt for me. I still got to hunt with my brother and our two dogs. I should have enjoyed the moment. I should have just blown it off. But probably then I I was like so disappointed in both our dogs, so disappointed in our shooting, whatever it was, where it's like I let it ruin two hours or three hours with my brother and our two dogs on something that was like opening day. We were so excited for, couldn't wait to go do. And then I, my disappointment in our dogs freaking ruined it so you know and that makes me sad that that's my memory right bud that makes me sad so i've reflected on stuff like that and try to now when i go duck hunting it's like you know what it's a dog i want to try and recover every duck we kill everyone conservation but you know yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna get upset anymore i'm not gonna be frustrated when they don't take my casts i'm not gonna you know i i'll tell you another story freaking memphis we're in uh, the Chesapeake Bay this year. We're shooting black ducks in the face. Okay. Kevin, his buddy, Eric, and our other buddy, Kevin, went over here and hunted. And then me, my buddy, Dave, and another guy went over here. And I, when I tell you we're shooting black ducks in the face, I'm telling you they're decoying and splashing 15, 20 feet away. Well, it Memphis, was unbelievable. It was like what you see on YouTube. Yep. Freaking awesome. Now picks up a couple in the decoys. We sail one off 60 yards. Like this is Memphis. Chip, chip shot. Two-time Master National. Third in the queue. Memphis. 60-yarder. It's 
short grass on the other bank. It's like uh, it's on the ocean beachy, so it's it's sandy and some like tufts of grass, but I can see the black duck flippity flopping on the bank. <laughs> she goes out, hunts the decoys, gets to the bank and can't go 10 more feet. In her brain, could not. Shoots this way. No, no. Back. Shoots that way. Back. It's flopping on the ground. If she turned and looked, it was there. Couldn't do it. And I finally, I mean, she finally did it. But I bet you it took 20 freaking whistles. <laughs> Where at a hunt test, it'd be A plus B equals C. And she's on that bird, like, line it. No big deal. Uh, but I'm sitting there going... But I didn't, you know, again, eight years ago, that would have ruined my hunt. I would never have forgotten that. That would have ruined my hunt. Now I'm just like laughing about it and I'm like, well, throw a rock at it. <laughs> like, get that son of a gun to go get that duck that's 10 feet from it. But they get it. They're a dog. They get in these little dumb moments. And yeah, I don't know, man. It was hilarious. And, and, and again, I reflect back on the, the times where I've had dogs and I'm just, I've taken the fun out of it for me. I've taken the fun out of it for the dog. I've taken the fun out of it for the people hunting with me because I had super high expectations. But in a real hunting scenario, you can't recreate it in training. No matter what we do, we can't recreate a river current. We can't recreate five ducks in the decoys and the six one landing 15 feet further. And this dog just goes <coughs> out her ears and is like, no, 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 it's here. I know it's here. And they just brain fart so you so have a I, moment like that you can remember Oliver that uh, was like you you're the guy and you're like you gotta be kidding so me. we were just because early new season but our, you know new season this year we're on the side farm and thought we knew where the birds were birds didn't do exactly what we wanted and they just kept lighting over like 300 yards away in the side farm. You know, it's clear as you could see them just hanging out there. And they're like, God, we need to get this, get this piece up. And I'm like, I'm not going over there. Right. But I got my boy Mackie, my dog. I screw him up. It's on me. I said, I'll just send them on the blind to the geese. Sure. And uh, bad idea, everyone. Yeah. Don't do that. But for us, it worked. So got the geese <laughs> up, got the geese up, came back and shot a few geese while one sailed off just about where those geese are, probably 300 yards. And there's a big drainage ditch. 200 yards away in front of the, the last 100 yards to get the goose shirt. And he gets to that ditch. And every time, I mean, he's a straight line, hauling butt, jumps over the ditch, stops and comes back. Kind of stopping, cast back, runs over the ditch, comes back, and could not get him. And they're like, oh, it's fine. I'm like, no, 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 no. Nah. no we're getting this. So I, you know, but I ended up just walking out there 150 yards, stopping him and casting, and finally getting it. But that situation where it took me a while to finally just get up and go do it. Right. Like, you know, I was like, oh, no, he's going to get it. And, you know, but, yeah, same same thing. And, like, with South Carolina, we have pretty good wood duck hunts. One of our biggest problems is, like, we should say we have a volley of birds come in daylight. We know we've only got 30 minutes yeah. to, to kill some birds. And so I'm like, you know, I shoot a bird over here. Okay, I remember where it is. I shoot a bird over here. I remember this is fun. Should I go get the birds? Yes. But I'm like, ah. 10 more minutes, probably pretty good shooting. I got one more bird I can kill. I, they're fine, they're dead, and I'll wait on that bird and the next bird, whether I kill it or not. And then I go look for the other ones, and it's like, uh, we're right here. 
I know I hit, like you just said, I know I smoked it. Where's it at? And we've lost burps like that. Yeah. Um, and then that's when, like, why are you wanting yeah. it up better? We walk out with one one bird. And I'm like, you know, and I get frustrated. And we spend 30 minutes looking for a bird. And so, yeah. Yeah, it's life. Uh, the, the rule of thumb is don't let stuff like that ruin the memory, ruin the hunt. Just take it as it comes. Can I point guys, out? Real quick, though, a couple of things. Uh, you had mentioned Eric went on that hunt down with us in Maryland. He actually texted me the other day and goes, man, we got to do less deer hunting this year and, and do a lot more duck hunting. Uh, my, my favorite part of going duck hunting is listening to you and Bob fight with each other about how to set up decoys at 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> like, yeah, we have a, that we won't have change. Inside, we've got an inside joke with our little goose hunting group that, that – uh, we got one buddy that he's he's the master. He did some guiding in Canada. You know, he knows he, he does. He's just a straight killer. And we, we were hunting early season with a bunch of new guys that we didn't know, and they're like, "All right, we're going to set it this way." And they're like, "Why aren't you set them up?" We're like, "Nah, we're we're waiting for our buddy Ryan because no matter what we do, he's coming and he's changing, and it may be literally turning the head on the goose, moving it over this way five feet. Yeah, he's going to do that. Yeah, no, we don't really fight over where the decoys go. No, 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 no. I just mean like. He thought it was hilarious that it'll be like, all right, hang on. Bob's steering the boat. Kevin's trying to throw decoys (laughs) and Bob will be like, Oh, can you unravel them faster? Like, what are you doing? Why, why are you like, what are you doing? Okay. Well, it's eight degrees outside. I can't see what's happening. It's just, you know, the, the typical argument, but yeah, it's always fun. That's right. I love it. I can't wait to go out with you, Kevin. All right, everybody. Uh, Real quick, quick segue. Uh, from the duck, we, we touched on Memphis a little bit earlier on her uh, hunt with Birdie. But a, a quick reminder and, like, super fired up that she's pregnant. Thanks, she, dude, she's humongous. She is. She looks miserable. She looks <laughs> Carrie's like, do you think she's okay? I'm like, I think, yeah. I think she's just fat and tight, like. If you pet her, she's tight as a drum. It's like like she drank 800 gallons of water and she's like, you got to burp her or something. She is humongous. I'm so excited about it. Her father, the sire of these puppies just got his AFC. So like last time we had the podcast and I announced the puppies, he was qualified all age. Now he's an amateur field champion. So sick. Um, and I'm really excited about these puppies. I'm going to keep one, possibly two. I haven't decided. Carrie doesn't know about the second one, but whatever. Kevin but, looks like he can have a puppy, but <laughs> that's right, bud. Yeah, congrats. Um, but I'm really excited about it. I think they're gonna be bad to the bone marking dogs. I think they're gonna be team players. I'm really, really excited about their future. And and I mean, I enjoy and get excited about the other puppies we have, so I don't want to belittle those ones, but man, this is like seven years of me. Sure, and it's your dog. It's my dog. It's like this is my my child. This is my the, I don't even like saying child that was weird, but this is the dog that I've had from the beginning. This is the dog that took me to higher levels in hunt tests and all over the country. And I really am super excited to see what her offspring have to offer in the world. So I'm excited. So there there's a you know, I don't really I'm not advertising it as far as like anyone who wants one is gonna get one. 
but if you like one, I'm going to have a pretty strict deal with it where like, I want you to be a, a, a ridiculously serious duck hunter or a ridiculously serious contest competitor or someone who strives to go to the master national in a couple of years with this dog, like no family pet. I mean, they'll be great family pets, but they aren't just that. I want them to go and do some big stuff and have people who have goals for big stuff and, and they'll be able to accomplish it. And so I'd like to see what they accomplish even more than any other dog I've bred. And I've had some really successful dogs with bred. And they're dogs that are running derbies and cues and master tests and master nationals this upcoming year. I mean, we've bred some badasses. I'm really, really excited for this one. So anyways, um, Kevin's back from a, wherever he went. Kev, let's get into, we're going to do shot for shot. Oliver, we've got a bunch of questions that came in through our Instagram at Lone Duck, L-O-N-E-D-U-C-K. Oliver is at under or at foundation underscore retrievers. I looked it up earlier. Um, but anyways, on our Instagram, we asked questions and we're going to go rapid fire. You answer, I answer, or we agree. Type of thing. Can we just have fun uh, to chat? Let her rip, bud. Let her eat. Uh, let's see here. Uh, where was that one that I liked? Way to rip it off. I know. There was a good one. Here we go. Uh, from Trad Moore. This one will be for Oliver, Mr. Uh, Southerner. Does bringing a dog inside to sleep at night hurt its ability to acclimate to the heat? From my experience, uh, just speaking on behalf of my personal dogs, that stayed you know, when my older dog's Mackie, seven years old, he stays inside every night, but he's outside all day when I'm there. Uh, so for him, it doesn't affect him. I think if you have a house dog and it's inside all the time, the only time it sees outside is when you're you know, letting it out to pee or going to train. I think you are going to see a little bit of, you know, struggle with the heat. Um, I definitely don't, you know, I'm not saying advocating go put your dogs outside to be ready, but I think that you got to have a good balance of letting them deal with the heat as well as, you know, let them be inside being dog. Yep, I agree. So, I think on the general rule of thumb, general rule of thumb, I think, you know, the old adage of hunting dogs need to be outdoor dogs is no longer they can totally be a house dog and a great hunting dog. But I do see, and we talked about today, today was hot as hell. We were sweating. We were kind of getting muggy and like, oh, okay, I'm ready. Are you ready? Okay. And our dogs were the same. The dogs were just dragging it and their tongues were hanging out and they weren't, they just weren't used to it. This is like the first, yesterday and today were like the first hot days that we've had all summer and being in the truck and just muggy if they're if they go from ac air conditioning all day long all week long and on saturday it's 85 degrees and muggy and you go run them on three marks they are going to struggle so i do think that there is something to be said about a dog acclimating and getting comfortable being in that condition and and vice versa with the cold i think if they're constantly in the heat all winter long in your house now i'm not saying go stake them out in a snowstorm and i'm not saying they got to live outside in the snowstorm i'm just saying 
that if the only time they're cold is in the duck blind and it's 17 degrees out and you're trying to kill ducks and the rest of their life they live in 72 in the house on a couch, they're probably going to freeze their butt off. So there, there is an aspect of that. Um, I don't really know how to combat it other than the outside world. I, I don't know. Maybe they, maybe you do put an outdoor pen out there and they just spend an hour or two out there and just hanging and while you're at work, they're out there with the yeah. person at home. This is something where they can just be comfortable in the heat and, and adjusting to it where it's not. And I almost think too, bud, I don't know if the, there's no science behind this. Maybe it'd be cool to talk science behind it with someone who's smarter than me and you. But is there a time frame of that? adjustment level like if they go from an ac house to an ac backseat of a truck to 85 degrees humidity high running five marks and two lines and then back in the ac and then back in the house in the ac like that can't be good for them like there's got to be something maybe put them on a tie out stake after they run maybe and and hang out for an hour maybe it's uh, uh i don't know I don't have the answer other than I can tell you right now, our dog drug butt today because of the humidity and, and the warmth. Well, I have a question. So, uh, Oliver, do you have uh, fellows from up north send you dogs that maybe aren't used to the heat so that when they get to you, it's like, all right, we got to transition in here, buddy. Like you're, you're dragging ass a little bit. Like, let's like, how do you handle that? So perfect example. Uh, two weeks before the summer trip, dog from Maryland, which I know it's not as north as here, but it's still north for us, as far as cooler climates. Um, you know, he comes down most of the heat we've had in the last two weeks back home. Uh, this week's been in the 80s, uh, 80s, 90s, and you could tell he was, you know, he's a golden retriever and like almost out of shape. He's, but- yeah, he's out of shape. And, and even he said, Look, man, I'm busy. And, you know, life got in the way. I haven't worked a ton. He's going to need a few weeks. And that's why I said, Hey, bring him two weeks before the summer trip. And that way I got two weeks to take him on a run around the property where I rode him. And, and at the same time, those first two weeks he was with me, I understood that there was going to be times where he just gave out, you know, he was just tired and don't let that because they, Oh no, we're going to finish this month. I put him up, you know, and I took that into account. Um, and so how we combated it was just, you know, taking it easy on him, but also giving him an extra road session every week, letting him, run around and you know and, and after two weeks i feel like that was an adequate time to get him back into shape i agree i agree um, uh another another thing I'll, I'll mention and we won't get into it too much but heat stroke is more dangerous than hypothermia dogs will overheat way faster and do i'm not going to get into it on this podcast but do your own research on the old googles a dog can overheat way, 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 way quicker than it can freeze to death. So running dogs in the summer, whether you're in New York or in Florida, is way more dangerous than running them when it's cold. So look it up, learn how to read the signs of heat exhaustion, heat stroke, and how to combat it. Conscious of it. So, all right. I, uh, yeah. Well, before we do that, I I did a a little research project for Gunner a a ways back on this. And statistically, more dogs uh, die 
of heat stroke than they do of hypothermia. Yeah. So it's something to think about, something to watch for. Sure. Um, Get fans on them, keep them cool. Um, you can wet them down, like take water and put it on their underbelly. And that evaporation will help cool them. You can take rubbing alcohol and that'll help cool them. Putting them in an ice bath is not good. Yeah, new, 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 new. It will constrict their blood vessels too quickly, too tightly, and they'll they'll throw their whole body for a loop and it can kill them. So you just want to slow their slow it down to where it's more natural versus like shock them into cooling down. Anyways, next question. There was one that came in, Kevin. Maybe you can find it, but it was how do you? And this will be for you. How do you train efficiently in the heat? Going with that question? Yeah, Kevin can find out who, who sent Yeah, so uh, Logan asked, how do you get the most out of training during, during the, you know, hotter than hell days of summer? For us, it's early mornings. Um, typically back home, you know, if we're starting at sunup, it's 536, and by 2 o'clock it's getting pretty toasty uh, and then depending on the day we may start later in the afternoon um, for me not start but do like another second correct correct yeah. take a mid a siesta yeah uh, or do some um, for me as far as what do I set up what am I going to do to get the most out of it I'm going to park in the shade um, singles um, you know each dog obviously needs something a little bit different uh, work water work a lot of times i'll do a watermark first before i say i have like the, today we or uh, this week we've done maybe one or two watermarks and then run one or two landmarks so the dog's getting in the water on that first mark and those next two or three landmarks he's cooling himself and we're able to get a little bit more out of it than just running three or four landmarks covered uh, but probably not putting it in homes we never putting it in a ton of cover this time of year Back home right now, right? So thick high, cover thick where cover. like that humidity from the grass is really hot. We will strip our property where we've got short cover, tall cover, short cover. Yeah, we'll talk about this over there. Um, but yeah, so just paying attention to that. Um, and then again, when I start seeing a dog get hot, just stop. Yep. Uh, another thought about water I said put them in water and do more water work, but hot water is just as dangerous as hot sun and heat. So if it's like, I don't know, I'm in New York, so our water doesn't get that hot. But if you're in like Texas, Florida, South Louisiana, in Louisiana, South Carolina, whatever, where your your water temps are 85 and you're like shallow pond, that's hot. They can't breathe. Yeah, yeah it's hot. So you just gotta be careful. Um, Another thing I would say as far as efficiency uh, goes is mental. I had one dog today. I don't know if you watched, but I had one dog today that I got onto pretty good mentally, not collar wise, not anything, but mentally. I made him do three things before he went and got a mark. I made him, um, I had to handle him on one mark. It took a little bit longer than normal and and he was the most dead out of all the dogs I ran. He was, his tongue was hanging out. He was exhausted because he was mentally stressed and mentally thinking on that setup more than anybody else. 
And so mental stress. So if you, like, let's say you're getting into a battle on blind on a hot day, and it's a bad, and it's a bad, and you're just you're just getting bad cast, bad cast, bad cast. Dog stressing out. Dog, you're getting some pressure on the collar. Stress, stress. Da 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 da. And you just can't get her done. And you had two more blinds set up, and maybe whatever the case may be for your setup, you may need to be done for a minute. You may need to let that dog cool off. Mental stress, collar pressure, uh, physical, mental, da, 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 whatever the case may be. I'm not saying you're turning the collar all the way up, but just like, let's say you're running a really hard blind and they just can't figure it out and they can't get there. They're going to be more physically and mentally exhausted and susceptible to the heat than if they went out and freaking hammer. So think about that too. That's the heat's a dangerous tool, but efficiency wise, obedience, shorter marks, concepts, drills, marking drills that don't need 250 yards, but they can get done in 100 yards. Um, water work intermixed and early mornings, late nights. And when it's the heat, heat, heat of the day, don't do it. Next up, bud. Uh, when going through force fetch, how many sessions are you trying to bang out each day or at least trying to, uh, for me, we're most of the time just doing one session a day. Same okay. So Same if you're doing one session a day, how long is that session, Oliver? And how long are you talking a month before you're like, okay, they got it. Or is it two months or a week? Like, what does that look for, like? For me, and again, you know, typical answer, it's dog dependent on the situation. Majority of the time, one session a day on force fetch, 15 to 20 minutes. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Um, and then it depends on what we're doing. Um, and then, uh, how many months? Oh, uh, typically, three to four weeks on the table transferring to the ground. Interesting. So, so what do you like, like what, what are you doing into the mic, into the mic, please? Uh, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, for 15 minutes, seems like a long time. Like how, how many reps are you getting when you're doing? Cause when I watch Bob do it, it's like, you might do three minutes, five minutes, but it's like, bam, bam, bam. Bam. Uh, I'm no longer in the town. I'll, so again, okay, you get my point though. Like, mental, I'm a quickie. Talking about mental stress, uh, if I'm doing toe hitch on the table, um, we'll say, well, like I've got a dog right now who's picking it up off the table with toe hitch. Probably he reaches down and grabs it. He may stand up and just hold that bumper for two minutes or a minute. And again, I'm not talking about in the heat of the summer. Hey, it, Jeff, screw the heat of the summer. Know, just get yeah. back to the process. Yeah. So they're, I don't do that. Okay. And um, okay. <laughs> 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 um, and then there's some dogs too, though, that we've talked about before where they're struggling and, hey, you know, I may just do a five-minute session. Like, hey, you did great today. You held the bumper. Um, but, yeah, I'm not typically – and it, you know, depending on where the dog's at, if we're doing hold, it may be hold my hand for 30, 40 seconds, take my hand out, and wait, you know, wait a little bit. I give the dog a chance to when I – Forced him with a toe hitch or told him to fetch him with a collar or a verbal fetch to sit there, 
relax, think about what's going on, not just boom, 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 where when the dog releases that bumper, oh crap, here comes another toe hitch. I give them a chance to relax, calm down, and ask them and do what I'm asking them for. I, I talk about feathering it, like finessing it, feathering it. I think repetition builds comprehension. Okay. So when I'm doing it, I like to do a bang, 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 pause, yep. let them hold it, pat them, let them calm down, take it, let them calm down, bang, let them calm down, bang, let them calm down. Bang, 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 don't come down. And so. And you're at 15 minutes right there. No, no. I don't know. Maybe. I don't, I honestly, God, don't time it. I just think that there are some dogs that, like, in five minutes, I'll be like, you know what? We're good. Let's put this sucker up. He just crushed. He hit a couple new milestones. He's trying hard. It's good. Some of them, it's like, yeah, probably 15 minutes. Like, if if I'm in a battle, like sometimes we'll talk about like, you want the dog? I believe there are instances in dogs that I need to win the battle. I am going to stick it out, whether it's three minutes or 15 minutes, I'm going to win. And I'm going to make the dog know that I won. And then they're going to get tons of praise and calmness and relaxation. And then I, but I won't. And I got them through it. And that's key. I got them through it. I figured out a way to get them through it to have a click. And then we're good. So I don't know. But I, I, I would say on average, I bet my force fetch sessions is 10 minutes or so or less. That would and, and I think it also falls back on, and I'm not saying you're right on that, or whoever no, is yeah. different. You may, you, 10 and 15 minutes it's is not, And what you may get out of that 10 minutes versus, say, a guy that's just learning and it takes him 30 minutes, you're getting the exact same thing. But I think 30 minutes is pestering the dog. I, I, I agree yeah. at times. Um, and it, 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 it's probably, yeah. but, but I agree. The longer, sometimes the worse. Yeah. I, I, especially to me on pressure. Correct. Pressure, right? Like, Mental stress, physical stress, ECOG, whatever it is. Like sometimes I think shorter sessions of things that are dip, super difficult for that dog to comprehend. I think if you overdo it, it's no good. There's that fine line, and you have to know what that fine line is with your dog. Right. So he would say, I'm pointing to him, but he would say 15 minutes, right? And I was like, his general rule of thumb. But I bet you tomorrow there's a dog you may do three minutes with. Chopper, when he came here. Exactly. We had one day where when we first got here, I told Bob, I said, cannot get this dog to pick up a bumper off the ground with collar pressure. Probably battle over 20. Yeah, he knows it with toe pinch 100%. I don't even have to hardly click the toe or the hitch with my toe. And boom, he snaps it up. And finally, like uh, earlier this week, we finally got him picking up a verbal fetch and fetch. Today, literally put five bumpers out. Whack, 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 whack. Put five in a row. Good job, buddy. You're done. Tomorrow yep. we'll probably do the same thing, make it a little bit longer, we'll, and yeah. be done. And so you know the days he's won, he has won in his mind. Hey, I'm five. I'm done. Yeah. Great. You know. So yeah. again, dog man. All right, Kevin, what you got? 
Brad Jordan's wondering, uh, and I, I, I want to hear Oliver's thoughts on this first because I, I guess I personally know how Bob looks at this, but uh, at what level, like what are some of the things that you're seeing out of your dog where you know going into a junior hunter test, they're going to pass or that they, you feel confident enough that like we can do this? Or like um, what's, what's that like gut feeling where you're like, we're good. Dog's ready. Yeah. Um, bringing the bird for me, bring the bird back to heel, delivering it to hand with no, you know, I'm not constantly using the collar to get him to do it. Um, he's not dragging me to the, the line that we were running at. He's not vocal. He can mark. I'm not having the bird boy help him. If I'm, if I'm working with a younger dog and I'm constantly using that collar, constantly having to blow the whistle to get him to come to me, not just out of habit, um, or, you know, fighting him to give him the bird, he's not ready. Uh, I'm waiting until just about he's perfect because we've got his whole life to do this. Why am I going to rush into it? Get him ready, get it done right. Um, and then, you know, maybe even like we're doing with Bob, we're coming up and training with someone in a hunt test atmosphere. How are my young dogs acting? Are they a little bit more jacked up? Because that's how they're going to act. Hunt test. Oh yeah. I agree. Yep. Nailed it. All right. One last one. I like this one. Actually, two last ones here. Uh, I like that. I don't know if you saw uh, the when we asked for responses here, you put up a, a pretty sexy photo of Oliver in his sun hat. Um, and he and I both commented responding, saying, like, how come, uh, how come you don't run any hats like that? So that was good. Um, but uh, check it out uh, at Lone Duck on Instagram. You can check it out yourself. Uh Mickey Pierce is wondering what's a good way to fix popping. First, can can one of you please explain uh, what Mickey's asking? Like, what is popping, and then how you would fix it? And do you guys do it in a different way? I love when you guys have uh, slight discrepancies in how you do things. It's interesting to learn about. All right, I'll describe popping. Popping is when a dog on the way to a mark or a blind stops and turns around and looks at you for guidance. Confusion, lack of confidence, maybe you're overhandling the dog, maybe it's a little further, a little harder, maybe the dog's hunting its butt off and it just can't come to the bird and it stops and looks at you when it does not have the bird. And it turns and looks at you on a marker or a blind. It's looking for help. That is a problem. I would say, generally speaking, on a mark. Mark is a bird that they saw fall and they're going to get a retrieve. Probably going to have a bird boy help. Probably there's no pressure. There's no help from me because if I help them, then they're going to be rewarded for popping. So let's talk about that again. Dog goes out for a tree. Let's say it's a hundred yards. It's in winger. Let's say a winger because that's what more people have. Or you've got your son, daughter, wife, husband, we're out there throwing a bird. That person or winger throws a bird. 
This dog goes out 70 yards, it's 30 yards away from getting the bird, and it turns and looks at you. If you yell back, if you cast them, they're going to be rewarded with the answer to go get that bird. Oh, I just got to turn around and go get it. Oh, I got to go this way to go get it. So now they're going to say the next time, hey, I'm not really sure where this is. I'm going to turn and look at him. He's going to tell me where to go. You're going to tell him where to go and they're going to be rewarded with the answer. So I would prefer on a mark to have the winger quack or beep. You got the electric, you know, remote release from Dartra. No big deal. Shout out to the old sponsor, our art deluxe, and you can quack it. And they'll turn around and they'll just run towards the quack. And then they'll continue hunting and then hopefully they come up with the bird. If they have a continuously popping problem, I'm going to simplify and make my mark shorter, more easy to find. I may salt and pepper the area, meaning. I might put five ducks or five bumpers in the fall area spread out so that if they get anywhere in the general vicinity of that fall area, they're going to be successful. I'm going to make it more success, more success, breeds more success. They're not going to pop. But if you help them back or cast them towards that mark, they're going to look to you for help. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree with that. On a blind, back in the day, I probably would have said back, Nick, back more consistently than I would have said anything else. I think if you, so one thing people do, which promotes popping, is you see the dog about to pop and you blow the whistle. So in the moment, the dog's like, I'm not quite sure myself. I think I'm going to stop. Tweet. And you stop them and cast them. Now they're going to be like, again, you're feeding into that pop. You're promoting it. It's going to be more likely to happen. Back in the day, I probably would have set out to give an in route for back and back. And wherever they went, I didn't care as long as they just kept driving out into the field. Now I'm more likely during a pop to be more understanding and just give a verbal yell. And it's probably in a more aggressive tone. Ah! Get out of here. Keep running. Again, if they if I yell back and they turn and take a hard 90 degrees in the wrong direction, I don't blow my whistle immediately. They went somewhere. You gotta let them go a little bit, then you stop them, then you handle them. But if they go in the middle of nowhere off of a pop and you immediately stop them so back tweet they're gonna continue popping but if you go they pop back one two three tweet cast or three four five or whatever it is like let them roll build momentum build momentum build momentum don't stop do not look at me until i tell you to um, if a dog is again I'm going to probably look at that and say, how can I simplify? Lining pass, white poles with a white bucket, a lot of other aids out in the field to build confidence on holding a line and taking a line, casting to prevent popping. 
but I've also trained enough dogs that I don't think I worry as much about popping anymore. Where like, but it's such a no-no thingy. Like, oh, that, that dog popped. Who gives a shit? It popped. Tell it back. Let it roll, and it'll be fun. If, if it pops ten times in a week, okay. Come at me in three months. If it's still popping ten times in a week, okay. I probably got to do something. But it's just learning. It's got to build its confidence. It's got to understand what you're teaching it. What is it expected to do? It doesn't even know. So I think just simplify, be patient. If they pop, don't give them the answer by casting them. If they look like they're going to pop, don't give them the answer by blowing your whistle and casting them. Go back. But I'm less likely to use physical or e-collar pressure on that anymore. Yeah, I agree. I agree with what you just said. Sweet. Yeah. Just pretty much simple. All right, everybody. Oliver, do me a favor. Tell everybody where they can find you on the old social medias and websites and whatnots if they want. If they're from, uh, where are you? Like, I know you're in Buffalo, South Carolina, but what like what are some, if you're in a two-hour radius, like, yeah, so it'll be agreeable. We're an hour from Columbia. Hour from Greenville, hour and thirty from Charlotte, North Carolina, and if you're in the Low Country, about three hours from Charleston. Yeah, uh, thirty minutes from Spartanburg. So that's where we're at. You can find us at foundationretrievers.com, and then on Facebook, obviously Foundation Retrievers, and Instagram, I believe Foundation underscore Retrievers. Yeah, is that right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, send me a message on there. Yep. Uh, you know, come out and train. More than happy to help anyone we can. Yeah, appreciate you being on the show. Appreciate you being here. Um, everybody, do me a favor. If you enjoyed the show, give it a five-star review. Give it the old subscribe. You know, head over to patreon.com forward slash lone duck authors. That is where you you show your appreciation. And I and Kevin really appreciate it as we continue to try and make this a better product uh, audio-wise. So patreon.com, great community. So thank you, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We got a good podcast coming next week. Really excited to share it with you. So Kevin, we're signing off, bud. Thank you for being a part of it. Oliver, thank you for being a part of it. Thanks for having us up here, bud. Oh, Bob, we're happy to have you. All right. See you all next week. Peace out. Hey, if you haven't done it already, jump into patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outers. If you enjoy the show and want to want to support the show, if this show has helped you and your dog grow together, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer and you get more one-on-one -on -one from me. You get content that doesn't hit Instagram or YouTube and it enters you to win a free hunt with me and Kevin in Missouri this duck season. So jump on, links in the description. We'd be happy to have you and love to help you. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation, to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.